Good's well. Our God can still see us, can't he? He can hear us, and our hearts are what need to be affected as Hugh brings his word to us. The first, the first hymn we're going to sing after I've prayed is on the paper copies because the computer's struggling, but we're hoping that the computer is back for the, the second hymn. Let's just commit our time to God in prayer. Father God, we ask that you would be with us as your word is proclaimed. We pray that you'd help Hugh. We pray that the electricity would not be a distraction. We pray that it would come back on uh, so that we can really focus on you. But Lord, may our hearts be changed as Hugh brings your word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our first hymn is, By Faith We See the Hand of God. And hopefully you can see a copy close to you, and we'll stand and sing as the music leads us.
if you can open your Bibles to Daniel and chapter 6. Daniel and chapter 6. And I'm quite excited with Hugh's title. The man who made a king run. The man who made a king run. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought, and cast into the den of lions. 
The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they had reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. We're going to come and sing our our next hymn, which is All the Way My Saviour Leads Me. And Tim, if we can pop to the the third verse, which is a a reflection of what Hugh was saying this morning, about we can honour God um, now. What's the next verse, Tim? Thank you, that's it. So we can honour God now, but we might have to wait until the kingdom to come, where we really feel his honour. All the way, my Saviour leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed in mortal, flies to heaven's eternal day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. And after we've sung, Hugh is going to come and give us an, an update from Great Ellingham and lead us in prayer.
So it's a real joy to be here, and I'm under strict instructions from the folk at Great Anningham whenever I go and preach anywhere else to bring uh, Christian greetings uh, and and fellowship in the gospel. So it's really good to be here with you uh, today and to share fellowship. Uh, I think it was 2019 that I came last, and well, a few things have happened since then, haven't they? Uh, and all, all sorts of things have gone on. So I was asked just to give a bit of a, uh, an update uh, about the church at Great Ellingham. I mean, some of you don't know, won't, know any, won't even have heard of Great Ellingham. It was announced this morning I was from Great Ellingham, and I was thinking, well, how many know where Great Ellingham is? It's in Norfolk, okay, in the middle of Norfolk, in the mid- which means it's in the middle of nowhere, really. Uh, but it's a, it's a small village. Our, really, our big claim to fame is that Joe Philpot was a student and came to Great Ellingham. So that's about the most exciting thing that's happened uh, in Great Ellingham. Uh, so we enjoyed having Joe with us uh, a little while ago. Uh, I won't say how long ago. Uh, no. So we're, we're a village. Um, but like so many villages, uh, we are in the process of doubling, uh, more than doubling in size. We've got uh, one large estate of 70 houses being built, another one of 200 about to be built, and another one uh, beyond that as well. So most of the village are all, you know, what people are like, well, we don't want anything new, anyone new, but as a, the Baptist Church, we're, we're pleased, we're delighted, more people uh, to come and more people to share the gospel with. So that would be a matter that you could pray about, as all these new houses are filled with different people, um, that... Uh, that we would have opportunity to to reach them uh, with the gospel. We're about in in uh, in uh, March to run a, a Hope Explored uh, course. So the Hope Explored is the is the shorter version, isn't it? It's a really excellent version. I think sometimes people committing to seven weeks for Christianity Explored is quite daunting for them. And so I'm, I think this uh, three weeks of Hope Explored. So you can pray about that as well. We have uh, about 50 members, 80 people coming along when everybody's everybody's there. Um, we, so it's an old church, so it's 1689 it was established, so, uh, so 1689, no, 1699 actually, I've got a 10 years out, 1689 was the act of toleration when Baptist churches could be formed, but, uh, so we're, I haven't been there that long, but this year I have been there for 25 years, so that's quite something, isn't it? I was 12 when I started as the pastor, and, uh, uh, and, uh, I wish, uh, but, uh, yeah, the Lord has been so faithful and kind. I can hardly believe 25 years has gone by, and the Lord has been good, and, uh, we're, we're, we're thankful for that. We've managed to survive COVID, thankfully, and, uh, church in one piece. We hear lots of stories of, uh, of nightmares happening in churches, and I'm thankful to see that, uh, to hear that you've gone on, on well as well. Um, so we've come through that, and, and with some encouragement, so some of our services, have, well, we've been uh, live streaming, and people have been watching on. I think sometimes people find that easier to do than turn up to church. So we had a, uh, just let me say, one young lady in her early 20s uh, works with somebody in the church, 
she invited her last year to the Christmas uh, carol service. We had a Christmas carol service outside. She came along, just came along to that, went home. What we didn't know was that that night she downloaded a Bible on her, on her phone and then started to read that and then started to watch the services online uh, and watch morning and evening. And then about Easter time she came along to the service and she's been wonderfully converted in her 20s. And it's really, it's, she just sits there and looks. She's the most wonderful person to preach to because she, she doesn't drift off or look at anywhere else. She just watches. And so that's a real encouragement. And she doesn't know anything about the Bible. That's the whole thing about the, the generation growing up. They don't. So I preached on David and Goliath. She didn't know the end of the story. So that's really exciting to hear these things, isn't it? And not know what's coming next. Um, so we're, we're encouraged. So you can pray for her. She, her name is, her name is Emily. So, Thankful for sharing in the gospel. It's great to come and, and, and see you again, have fellowship in the Lord. And let, let's come and to our God, our faithful God, and pray to him together. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we bow in your presence together. So thankful that we can come to you. The eternal, unchanging God. We're so conscious, Lord, of how quickly our lives fly by. How the years affect us. How fragile we are how quickly our lives can be turned upside down. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that we come to you, the God who doesn't change, the God who, who is that rock to which we can run and in whom we can hide. We thank you that we have a saviour who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord God, we run to you again this evening. Uh, we come to, to, to cast ourselves upon you. Uh, we're so thankful for your amazing patience with us. We feel that we fail you every day, and indeed we do, and fall so far short of what we should be. And Yet we're so thankful that in Jesus Christ we're accepted, in Jesus we're complete, in Jesus you, uh, you've provided everything for, for wretched sinners like us, broken and inconsistent to, to be safe and to be and to be loved. But Lord God, we come here this evening to, to rest in that grace. And yet also wanting, Lord, to, to be more the people that we should be. That, to respond to your love and grace with, uh, with love and obedience and, uh, and a growing likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, come to us, we pray. Thank you that you know us all. We haven't got to pretend. We haven't got to put on a show. We haven't got to hide anything from you tonight. So thankful for that, uh, that, that we can come as we are, casting our cares upon you, bringing our burdens to you, confessing our sins to you, uh, and just looking to you, our great God. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us as churches, how good you are. We thank you, Lord God, that even in these dark days in which we live, even with all that's going on around us, yet you still keep your people and you, you, you still in this country of ours, which, which has so despised you and your truth and, and cast away so many blessings, yet still in your grace, Lord, you, you, uh, you've allowed and kept churches where the gospel's preached. Lord, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for the blessing of belonging to a local church and uh, for brothers and sisters in Christ to, uh, to meet with and to sing with and to grow together with and to weep with and to rejoice with. And Lord God, what a blessing that is. And Lord, I pray for this uh, local church. Thank you for it, for all the years that you've kept your people here. And 
uh, the many ways you've led them and blessed them and pray that you will continue to keep them. Lord, keep them faithful to you, faithful to the gospel, uh, passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you for John uh, and pray for him and his ministry. I ask that you will sustain him and strengthen him and protect him in every way and make him to be uh, a, an ongoing means of blessing. Thank you for the other leaders and the elders in this church. Lord, what wisdom is needed in these days in which we live. Wisdom that we haven't got in ourselves. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would give us that wisdom that we need. We pray for every member of the church, everyone associated with it. Lord, uh, going out into a world which which despises you and which would want, as we were thinking this morning, to mould us and, and shape us into its ways. Lord, protect us and help us and keep us, we pray. Help us to be uh, like Daniels in the places that you put us. Uh, shining for you, faithful to you, can, can gripped by the truth. Lord, we can't be that in our own strength. We fail so quickly. But Lord, give us that strength, that faith uh, that we need. We've been reminded, we've already sung tonight, it is by faith that we, that we follow you. It's by faith that your people have always followed you. And Lord, give us that faith. Increase our faith, Lord, even tonight. Uh, Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, we're anticipating, Lord, that as your word is open tonight, you might strengthen our faith and we might go on our way at the end of this service more convinced of the truth, more convinced of the, of the glory of Jesus Christ, more convinced that this is the way to go, to walk in. Lord, help us, we pray. Any here tonight who don't yet know you, Lord, open their eyes and soften their hearts and do for them what we can't do and bring them to humble repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can share fellowship together in the gospel. We thank you that uh, uh, that churches dotted around this country are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the church at Great Ending and pray your blessing upon uh, the work there. Thank you, Lord God, that, that there is that real unity. We thank you that a day is coming when we'll all be together. We'll, uh, we'll rejoice together when the, when the journey's done and and Jesus has come again, and there's a new heavens and a new earth, and a world of righteousness, and we'll realize that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So, Lord God, bless us, we pray. Feel our unworthiness, and we're looking to Jesus, and we ask that as we open your word in a moment, uh, that you will speak to us through it and deal with us in your grace. Hear us, Lord, we pray. Continue with us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing before we come to God's words, and we're going to sing a sovereign protector I have, unseen, yet forever at hand.
Okay, can we turn then to that uh, chapter that Martin read to us, uh, Daniel and chapter 6. Spending the day, I said this morning, in Babylon. Uh, we're in chapter 1 uh, this morning and in chapter 6 tonight. So I have that open uh, in front of you. I wonder where, where's the worst place you've ever had to spend a night? I've had a few rough nights in Nigeria, I've been, apart from these last couple of years, uh, I've been going out to Nigeria each January. I've had some interesting nights out there, listening to rats running around. I was in a room with James Swanson, my brother-in-law, one night when a rat ran over my back. Uh, James certainly woke up. Uh, but if it was a choice between a night in a room with a rat or a night in a pit with some lions, I think I know which one I choose. This is a well-known and wonderful chapter in which Daniel spends a night in a lion's den. Now, this is many years after chapter 1 that we thought about this morning. Nebuchadnezzar has long gone. Belshazzar has come and gone. The Babylonian Empire has gone. We're now in the reign of Darius and the days of the Medo-Persian Empire. So Daniel has come to Babylon, 14 years old. He's now in his 80s, probably, by this stage. Uh, and that in itself is a wonderful thing. How wonderful that after all these years, we still find him faithfully serving God, believing the same truths he believed when he was 14 years old, following the Lord come what may. How many sad ends there are in the Bible, aren't there? How many, how many that began well and yet go wrong at the end? Or, and yet, it doesn't have to be that way, does it? Daniel reminds us, it doesn't have to be that way. With God's help, with his grace, you can, you can keep going faithful to the ends. Well, Daniel is still active, isn't he? Still serving in the court of Darius. And, and as we look at this chapter, I want us to think tonight about, I want us to view it in terms of Daniel's impact on the king. So uh, the t- I gave it the title, Just uh, it's one of the, my headings tonight, uh, The Man Who Made the King Run. Now, we'll come to that a little bit later on, and you can argue with me whether Darius does actually run or not afterwards, if you want to. But I want to think about the extraordinary impact this man, Daniel, had on this king. And I want us tonight to take the, uh, the challenge of that. I want us to... I want, us to, 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 I want to encourage you to think about the impact that our lives should have and can have in God's hands if we live godly lives. So I was saying this morning, that's one of the themes of Daniel's, this book of Daniel, how to live a godly life in, in, in an ungodly world. And that we can, and that we can actually, we don't have to go and hide away and, uh, and just wring our hands. We can, make it, we can, with God's help, as we live godly lives, put the Lord first, make a difference. Those you come into contact with, those who you go to school with, those who you go to work with, those who live next door, those you bump into uh, regularly. Uh, what impact does your life have on them? What, what impact could your life have on them? 
That's what I want us to think about this evening. And perhaps it might be a good idea to think about, to have one or two people in your mind. Just think about it, one or two people that are in your life, not, who aren't Christian, so you'd love your life to have an impact on. Have them sort of in your mind as we, as we go through this uh, together uh, this evening. So let's look at Daniel. What, what a great man God enabled him to do. He's an amazing character, but he's, he's only an amazing character because he's got an amazing God. I mean, there's nothing special about Daniel, but, but he's got an extraordinary God who's, who's more awesome than, than emperors and more awesome than lions. And he, and he trusts him. So, uh, I think we've got five points tonight. I'm sorry I haven't been orthodox at all for this morning. Five tonight, no three. I'm sorry about that. You'll have to, whether you invite me back again, again or not, we'll have to see. So, so the first point is, is this. The man, Daniel, the man who made the king notice. So that's the first one. The man who made the king notice. So here is Darius. He's, he's the king. He's the, he's the emperor. He's the, he's the main man. He's the head of the, the empire of the day, the Medo-Persian empire now. Uh, he, he's the sort of greatest man of the moment. He's the most powerful man, the most revered man. And of course, as you would expect, then he's got lots of people working for him. Lots of people in his court. Lots of people in his civil service. And so he's, we're told here he's got these, these 120 satraps and, and over them, three governors, three high officials. But there's one man, isn't there, that he notices more than any other. There's one man that stands out, catches his attention, so much so that he wants to put him in charge of the whole of the government. He wants to make him the, the prime minister, if, if, you, if you like, if you want to put it like that. And that man is Daniel. Now, what does, what does he notice about Daniel? Look at it with me. Look at verse 3. What does he, what does he notice? That there was an excellent spirit in him. Do you see that? What does that mean? Well, it means surely this, that there was something about him as a person. Not necessarily that he was the brightest. Not necessarily that he was the most clever, the most intelligent. Not necessarily that he was the most active. I mean, he's, he's in his 80s by now. He probably can't have been the most active of them all. But, but there was something about him. The way that he conducted himself. The way that he spoke. Uh, the way that he worked, the, the, the manner uh, in which he went about the task that he was given to do that made him stand out. An excellent spirit was in him. Now we can judge from what else goes on in the chapter that uh, the, the way that these other men worked and, uh, and their sort of attitude, uh, always with an eye on promotion, you know, there's backstabbing, isn't there? There's jealousy, there's, there's all those things that, that, that are all around us. Uh, and, and so Daniel stands out as this man who just quietly, happily gets on with the work he's given to do, doing it well, whether Darius is watching him or, or not. Just an excellent spirit. So, so what did that mean? That means the king knew he could trust him. Look at verse 4. It says he, was, uh, he, he knew that he was faithful. In other words, he was loyal to the king. He was a man who could be trusted. If he was given a task to do, he would do it, and he would do it well, and he would finish it. Uh, the king noticed that, that Daniel didn't have to be chivied along all of the time. He, he was faithful. You could trust him. You could leave him to do something. And he was diligent as well. What does it say? Nor was there any fault, error or fault found in him. That's in verse 4 as well, isn't it? We know that for sure, don't we? Because when these jealous people, uh, all, all these others, try and find a fault, I mean, they would have looked, wouldn't they? They'd have checked everything. They would have gone to every record and every attempt to, to try and find something that Daniel's done wrong. But he hasn't, has he? 
It's no wonder the king noticed him. It's no wonder the king was thinking of setting him over the whole of the kingdom. An excellent spirit in him. How can I challenge you then? Do people notice you in that way? And me? Your boss? Your teachers? Your neighbors? Your friends? Uh, Do they notice an excellent spirit in you? Do you you stand out as honest and trustworthy and just different? I mean, I think this is encouraging for for a good number of us because we're we're never going to be the most intelligent. I mean, I'm not going to be the most intelligent, not even with glasses. Uh, You know, I'm not going to be the cleverest or the best, but, but you can have an excellent spirit, can't you? I mean, that is possible even, even for those of us who aren't particularly bright. We can have an excellent spirit. We can be different. We can be faithful in that way as we look to the Lord. The man who made the king notice. That's one of our great needs, isn't it, today? To be different, to stand out. And in some ways, it ought to be getting easier to stand out. As, as the world gets darker, it ought to be a little bit easier to, to be a bit brighter. The man who made the king notice. That's the first one. Secondly, the man who made the king second. The man who made the king second. You see, though Daniel worked for the king and he did it well, it's clear, isn't it, that Darius knew there was someone else that Daniel served. So that though he knew that he could leave him anything in his hands, he could trust Daniel. He knew that Daniel's first allegiance wasn't to him. Why do I say that? Well, because of what Darius says twice in this chapter, verse 16. Look at verse 16. And then at verse, uh, it's the same again, isn't it, in verse 20. What does he say? He speaks to Daniel about his God, and he says, whom you serve continually. See that? Whom you serve continually. That's interesting. That's telling, isn't it? That Daniel works for the king. Daniel serves the king. But it seems to me that Darius knows that, uh, that, that ultimately Daniel's serving someone else. Someone greater. Someone bigger. He serves his God. And that's the reason for his excellent spirit, isn't it? That's ultimately the, the, the reason for his honesty. Uh, for his care. Because he's actually serving the Lord. Yes, Darius is, the, is great. He's a great and powerful man, but, but Daniel serves someone even greater. He serves this great and glorious God. I said this morning, just turn back to chapter 4 with me, please, and verse 34 and 35. I said this morning that, that actually it's not so much Daniel who declares the greatness of God in his book. It's, the, it's all these foreign kings, isn't it? It's all these emperors. Well, you, there's, there's hardly a greater description of the majesty of God than the one that Nebuchadnezzar gives in chapter 4, uh, at verse 34. You remember when, when he, his, his mind is restored to him. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever ever and ever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I mean, what an amazing description of God and his sovereignty. And that's who Daniel serves. That's who comes first. The man who made the king second. And actually, that was best for the king. And the truth is, for those of us who are believers here tonight, that, that that's, that's, needs to be true for us, isn't it? And, and it's a wonderful thing to be true for us. That everything we do, 
We can do it for the Lord. We can do it for Jesus. Uh, so you see, you might say to me, well, I, you know, if I worked for a king or an emperor, you know, then I'd do my job well. Or, you know, or if, if, I did a, if I had a job that really mattered, then I'd have an excellent spirit. Or if I was really appreciated, if I was paid a bit better, if I was paid at all, you know, then I'd do my, you know, I'd do my job a bit better. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, everything we do, we do for the Lord. We do for Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's right, isn't it? Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So, who do you get up in the morning for? Who do you wash the dishes for? Who do you bring up your children for? Who do you go to work for? Who do you do your homework for? If you're a believer, the wonderful thing is you, you do it for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And is there anyone more worthy of serving than him? Anyone more glorious than him? Anyone better to serve than him? And the people around you actually need you to put the Lord first. They might want you to put them first. Your non-Christian family, if you've got non-Christian family, they might want you to put them before your faith, but what they really need is for you to put Jesus first. Now, it, it, not everyone here tonight is a Christian, I don't imagine, for a moment. And, and if you're not a Christian, then you don't know this wonderful thing. That actually the reason you were created, the reason you were made, was to, was to serve God and live your life for him and live your life in relationship with him and fellowship with him. And there's nothing more wonderful and more glorious. And you could have everything else and all the success in the world. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not living for him, then it's all empty and, and fleeting and, and soon will be over. And you, what do you need? You need Jesus as your Lord. You need to bow before this great God and live your life for him. So, the man who made the king notice. The man who made the king second. The man who made the king cross. That's the third one. Now that sounds serious, doesn't it? But it's not, it's not that Daniel makes the king cross with him. Who's the king cross with? He's crossed with himself, isn't he? The New King James was like this in verse 14. Now the king, when he heard this, was greatly displeased with himself. He's, he's been a fool, hasn't he? He's been encouraged and, and flattered into making this law that he should have known that Daniel will never keep. And he's crossed with himself. Now, what have these, what have these men flattered the king into doing? Well, we read it, didn't we? And making a law that for 30 days, no one should pray to any other gods except for the king. And if they did, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be thrown into the lion's, the lion's den. And, and the king's foolishly gone along with it. He's foolishly agreed to it. He signed a decree. And of course, there's this decree. It's like the decree of the strict Baptist, isn't it? That, that cannot be broken. You can't change it once it's been, once it's been made. And what does Daniel do? When he reads, when he knows the decree's been made, he carries on praying. It's an amazing verse, isn't it? Verse 10. Get verse 10 with me. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. 
and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. What a, I don't, I, isn't that a rebuke? I find that a rebuke to me. What stops us praying? The thought of an extra half an hour in bed? Something on the tally? Just being too busy? Fiddling for too long on social media, on our phones? I mean, how easily we make excuses, don't we, for, for not praying. But for Daniel, not even the prospect of the lion's den could stop him from praying. Now, just, just stop and note a few things about this praying. Uh, first of all, it's something he's been doing for a long time. Now, I know there's various uh, translations of, of verse 10. The ESV has, uh, as he'd done previously. Um, but it's, it, it, the, the Hebrew here is, is, is indicating this is something long-term. You know, you might say, well, he's done it previously. He's done it the day before as well as today. But it, it's, the, it's, it's speaking about something Ongoing from from a from a long time, you could translate it from 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 a long ago. So this is this is a this is a habit. That's why it's got here uh, from as it was his custom from his youth. I think we can I think we can pretty much be sure that as he purposed in his heart as that teenage boy not to defile himself with the king's delicacies, so he purposed in his heart all those years ago that come what may. He's going to pray every day. He's purposed in his heart. It's a habit he's got into. It's a way of life. He's kept it up through all the years. And here he is in his 80s and he's still praying. And he doesn't think he's past it. He doesn't think he can slow down a bit now. He continues to the end. So, let me address you different people. So, you young people here tonight. You can pray. You can establish a routine of praying. You, you can establish a habit of praying. You can purpose in your heart that you're not going to start a day without prayer. Well, that would be a great thing to do, wouldn't it? To say, I need to pray. I, I can't do without that. I, I'm going I'm to pray every day. And if I fail, I'm going to start again the next day. How we need that? We, you, you'll never be a Daniel. Without being a prayer. And then let me address those of you who are in the midst of life with all its busyness and, and all its responsibilities and, uh, and with all the pressures on your, on your time. How often we say, don't we, oh, if only my life wasn't so busy, if only I didn't have so much to do, then I could have a really good prayer life. And no doubt we are busy and there's lots of pressures on us, but, but, but Daniel really takes away that excuse, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's like nearly prime minister, isn't he? He's, 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 got all, he's, he's got all sorts of responsibilities. He's answerable to the emperor. He's got a thousand and one things to do. He's got 40 satraps coming to him with all, with all their emails and everything else and, and all that they've got to do. And, he's, and yet, in the midst of it all, he still maintains a constant prayer life. So we, there's a book, isn't there? Too busy not to pray. Uh, you know, we need, we need to pray. And then let me address you older folk, and, and I'm, I'm just going to look at the clock. Well, you can decide whether you're among the, among the older folk or not. Don't, you don't get beyond praying, do you? Don't be tempted to, to ease off as you get to the end. If you want to live like Daniel, have a, have a faith like Daniel's, for your life to have an impact like Daniel's, then you've got to pray. And I've got to pray like Daniel. 
just look at this. What, what, do we, what else can we learn about the character of his praying? Well, it's marked by humility, isn't it? Because how is it, what, what position does he pray in? Can you see it there in verse 10? He's, where is he? He's on his knees, isn't he? Now, perhaps you're in your 80s and say, if I got on my knees, I'd never get up again. I don't know, but... But that's what he does. It's, it's just, here he is, this dignified old man, and, and he's, he's, he's done this all his life. But when he comes to his, into the presence of his God, there's an awe. There's a, there's a sense of awe and, and wonder and reverence. One of my childhood memories is bursting into my grandfather's bedroom and finding him on his knees beside his bed, praying. I was only a young boy, you know, staying there. There he was. I mean, he was a dignified old man. He'd never be seen outside the, the house without a tie on. He had a tie to garden in. And, uh, you know, that was the sort of man he was. But there he was on his knees beside his bed, praying. I'll never forget that image. And that's what Daniel was like. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us we've got a, there's a definite position in which we, we need to be in when we pray. But it does tell us there's a, there's a definite attitude we need to have when we pray. And, and that's humility and awe and reverence and wonder that we can come to this God. Kneeling expresses earnestness as well. He's, he's, you know, this isn't casual, is it? This isn't, you know, you know, saying your saying your prayers like you know, uh, like on ropes. He, you know, he's he's in earnest. He's on his knees. It's also marked, this praying, it's marked by a love for the work of God. I love this picture of, of Daniel. Think about this. He's been in Babylon all these years. He's, see, he's served the, the greatest men of the day. He's seen the pomp and majesty of Babylon. Now he's in the, in the pomp. He's at the heart of, of power, isn't he? He's at the heart of, of, of what's happening in the world, the Medo-Persian Empire now, and he's at the heart of it. But that's not where his heart is, is it? Because every time he goes to pray, he opens his window, and where's he, where's, where's he thinking of? Where does his heart go? Where does his thoughts go? It's Jerusalem, isn't it? That, by this time, broken down, bashed up city that seems to be nothing at all, and yet he knows that's, that's, Babylon isn't the center of things. Babylon isn't important. It's, 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 it's Jerusalem, because the promises of God are bound up in that place. And, and one day, uh, the Savior is going to come to that place. And, and that's, that's, where, that's where his heart is, isn't it? Is that true of you and me? Yeah, we have to live our lives. We, we've got all sorts of things to do and all sorts of things we get excited about. Uh, and perhaps you've got a responsible job and a powerful position. I don't know, but, but it, it, the cause of Jesus Christ, the work of the gospel, that's where our heart should be. That's what Daniel was like, wasn't it? It was marked by thankfulness as well. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? He, kneel, he kneels down, and, uh, and what we could sort of expect him to sort of cry out, don't we? But he, 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 he gives thanks. He's facing the lion's den. His life's on the line. But he kneels before his God, and he gives thanks. He thanks God for all his goodness and all his grace and all his mercy towards him. And, you know, that's true, brothers and sisters, isn't it? That whatever's going on in our lives, whatever threats hang over us, whatever burdens we have, whatever trials we have to go through, the, the truth is that we've always got things to be thankful for. We've always got mercies new every morning to give thanks to the Lord for. 
It's also marked by relationship, isn't it? So it's marked by uh, humility and, and love for the work of God and thankfulness and relationship. I like the, just the way it says he gives thanks. Do you see that? Before his God. So he's in the presence of his God. This is again, again not a, a distant thing, not a cold thing. He's in the presence of his God. A God he knows, a God he's walked with, a God he's trusted in, a God who's kept him. Uh, he, he knows this God. There's, there's, there's relationship there. Is that, do those things mark my prayer life? Do they mark your prayer life? You see, what's more dangerous, do you think? Perhaps you young people can think about that. What's more dangerous, to enter a lion's den or go a day without prayer? Well, Daniel was pretty sure of the answer to that. He'd rather, he'd rather risk the lion's den. He'd rather risk the lion's den than go a day without prayer. Why? Because... Well, could it be because he knows that there's a lion far more vicious and frightening and damaging than the lions in that lion den? I mean, there there is, isn't there? What does Peter say? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy. An enemy who's got to be resisted by by prayer. An enemy would, who would love to destroy us and destroy our witness and destroy our lives and destroy our marriages and destroy everything else he could. And so we, we, we need to pray. It's not a, you know, not a, a little bonus if you're a really earnest Christian, then you, you, you know, you pray. We need to pray. Have we lost sight of how vital prayer is? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an area we always battle with, isn't it? We will do for a whole of our lives. But perhaps the Lord's brought us along here tonight just to, just to remind us again, just to search us again, just to bring us back to him again and, and re- renew our, our prayers again before him and ask him for grace to be more consistent in prayer. Again, let me, if some of you aren't Christians here tonight, well, you can pray. You can pray. And you must pray. Uh, and you must pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know the amazing thing is God will hear you if you truly cry that to him. It's a God who hears prayer and answers prayer. Daniel knew that. So, let's go back to the king a moment. Let's, uh, what was the point? The point is this. The man who made the king cross because the king's made this law and he's, he's cross with himself. What have I done? Not cross with Daniel for breaking the law, cross with himself for making the law. The man who made the king notice. Can you remember them? The man who made the king second. The the man who made the king cross. The man who made the king run. We got to it, okay? Now you can argue with me about this afterwards if you want to. Have you ever seen the queen running? Running down the mall or something like that? We haven't, have we? Queens don't run, kings don't run, do they? I mean, and certainly Middle Eastern... Kings, emperors didn't run. But I think that's the picture that we have. It's there in verse 19, isn't it? Uh, we're told, he went in haste to the lions, to the den of lions. Now, okay, you might, you know, you might say he walked really fast if you want to, and I'm not going to argue with you afterwards, but I reckon he's running, isn't he? He's, he's, he wants to get to the lions den. And he's, and he's, I think he's running anyway. 
And why is he running? Do you think he'd ever run to the lion's den before the, night, the morning after he's cast anyone into the lion's den? Do you think that, young people? Of course not. He's never run to the lion's den the next day, you see. This is a testimony to the impact that Daniel has had on his life, isn't it? I mean, look what he says back in verse 16. He says to him, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Do you think, do you think Darius has ever said that to anyone else he's about to throw you into the lion's den? This is, this is, this is down to Dan, Daniel's testament, isn't it? It's, it's clear to Darius that, that Daniel's God is different. He's not some, he's not some dead, empty idol. He's not, like the, the, he's not like the idols, the gods that he goes and, and, and bows down to. He, he, he's different to that. And, and, and he means it, doesn't he? That's why he runs the next morning and he gets to the, the lion's den and he, and he actually calls out, doesn't he? I mean, do you think he's ever done that before? I'm absolutely certain he's never done that before in his life. But what does he call out? Verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You notice his description of Daniel's God? How does he describe him? The living God. This isn't some dead idol. Daniel has not served a dead eye. The, the way that Daniel's lived his life, the way that he's gone about his duties, the excellent spirit in him, uh, the way that he's the way that he's spoken and 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 been faithful and honest, make us convinced, Darius, that this God is the living God. That He's real. This is not make believe. Now that's the challenge for me and you. Uh, uh, do our lives have that sort of impact on anybody? People watch our lives and see the way that we live and the way that we work and the way that we speak. And are they are they convinced that our God is the living God? That Jesus is alive? Would would anyone be if we were chucked into the lion? Can I put it like this? If we were chucked into the lions, then would anyone turn up the next morning? Yeah, maybe maybe their God could could save them. Would they be there the next morning? Well, he does save Daniel, doesn't he? What a, what a, what a God he is. He does save Daniel the, from the lions then. The lions' mouths are shut and God delivers him. And verse 23, the king is exceedingly glad. And Daniel's brought up out of the pit, isn't he? And what do we read? Verse 23, there's no injury on him at all. So it's not that they had a bit of a chew and they didn't like the taste of him. You know, it's not that he's managed to fight them off all night and then, you know, the morning comes and they drag him out, scratched. And There's not a scratch on him. And it's not because the lions just happen not to be hungry. We know that, don't we? Because when his enemies and all their families are thrown in, they don't even reach the bottom. This is God's saving him. The Lord saving him. Now we have to say, don't we, like this morning, I had to say... We know in the days of the Roman Empire, for example, that Christians were thrown to the lions and they were eaten. So it doesn't always work like this. Does that mean, though, that you know that that God couldn't save those people in the in the in the Colosseum? No, it doesn't. This story reminds us He could, but actually, He saves His people in a far more amazing way. Ultimately, I mean, He does save all His people from death, doesn't He? but in an even more profound and glorious and eternal way. 
in his son, Jesus Christ, because in his son, he's, he's entered our world, and he's, he has, he's defeated the lion. He's, he's crushed the, the, the serpent's head. He's, he's, he's dealt with Satan. You see, we see, we see, uh, Daniel come out alive out of the lion's den, and we go, wow. But brothers and sisters, something even more amazing has happened. Where has Jesus come out alive from? From the grave. From death. It's been conquered. He's dealt with it. So that we don't need to fear the lion's den in that sense because death's sting's been removed. Jesus has risen. We have a mighty, glorious saviour. People ought to, if we believe that and live in the light of that, people ought to begin to see that, shouldn't they? Peter says, doesn't he, about people being ready to ask, to, to answer people who ask us about what? The, the hope that's in us, that we have a Savior who's risen from the dead. And that ought to shine out of us. One last thing. The man who made the king. Notice, and second, the man who made the king cross, the man who made the king run, maybe. The man who made the king right, that's the last thing. The man who made the king right. Verse 25. In response to all that's happened, the king writes a decree, doesn't he? And what an amazing decree it is. Sent out to the ends of the empire. It's just another, it's another one of these, of these uh, emperors having to declare that there's no god like this god. And it's sent out to the ends of the empire. What does it say? Verse 25. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And what's it calling people to do? Verse 26. Tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now, of course, a decree can't make that people do that. But it's what people ought to do. It's what every one of us here tonight ought to do. I wonder if you've ever done that. Trembled and feared before the living gods. But he's, he, he's a God to be held in awe of. Why? Well, how does it go on? Because he's the living God and steadfast forever, enduring forever. He's the God who saves. He's the God who, who rescues. And the king writes all that down and sends it out. How amazing is that? How gracious of God that that decree goes out. I've, uh, I wonder what, what became of that decree. Do you ever wonder that? Where did it go? How many places was it read? Think of all the towns and the, and the, and the, and the, and the villages, the cities where this decree is, is read out. And people hear about the, about the God of Dan, Daniel and the God who saves and rescues. I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if anyone did tremble and fear before this God. Where, what does all this come from? What does, it's all the result of Daniel honoring the Lord's. Obeying the Lord's, this decree goes out. People are speaking about the God of Daniel. Oh, that my life and your life might, might have that sort of impact. That people will speak about the living God, tremble and fear before him. Daniel teaches us how to live for God in an ungodly world. And it's not, it's no magic formula, it's just, Trusting God, obeying him, purposing in our hearts, believing that he's the living God and he's in charge in an ungodly world. And to trust him and know him and walk with him is the most glorious thing 
in all the world. Well, may God bless his word to us and challenge us and send us away to think about those things and make our lives more as they ought to be by his grace and for his glory. Okay, we'll sing one last hymn as we conclude uh, tonight. It's, Begone unbelief, my Saviour is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle and prove that he saves. With Christ in the vessel I smile at the waves. Thank you again for your word. Write it on our hearts. Help us not simply to be preachers or hearers of your word, but doers of it also. We know that we can't do that in our own strength, so Lord, we look to you as we end the day for the grace that we need that we haven't got in ourselves, the strength that we need that we haven't got in ourselves uh, to live for you 
uh, to be the people that you call us to be, to serve the Saviour who has done so much for us. Bless us, Lord, now, our fellowship together. Watch over us and keep us, we pray, uh, looking to you, faithful to the end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.